Hi everyone and welcome to the July edition of the DistilleryTours.Scot podcast, giving you that wee bit of extra insight from Scotland's whisky distilleries. My name's Nikki Simpson and in this episode I spoke to John Fordyce, co-founder and director at the Borders Distillery in Hoyk. John tells us why he chose Hoyk for the site of the distillery, why both the refurbished building and their focus on sustainability are so important to them and how their cart ahead still offers fun and variety to their young team. This episode was recorded in May 2020, when the world had been social distancing for around two months to stop the spread of COVID-19. If you'd like to find out more about the Borders Distillery, its tours and its whisky, check out distillerytours.scot and click on the Book Now button on the Borders listing. We hope you enjoy it. Hi everyone, today I'm here with John Fordyce, co-founder and director of the Borders Distillery. Hi John. Good afternoon. Um, so, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what brought you to the borders and to Hoyk? I, um, uh, slightly unusual story in the sense that, uh, in the early 1980s, I went overseas and worked in Latin America, Africa, Asia, Australasia, and then came back to Scotland in 2013, um, with the, uh, objective of building a new distillery uh, in the Scottish borders. We chose the the borders for three reasons really. One was that there were no other distilleries in the borders and we didn't feel as though we'd have much advantage being the 70th in Speyside or the... Uh, the second reason is it's a very good barley growing area uh, and that comes on to um, part of the uh, of our plan which is all around sustainability and then the third reason was, of course, the Tweed Valley water catchment area, um, which is why the textile industry came here in the 17th century, uh, is a f- has fantastic quality water. We then went around the borders uh, for about a year, identifying sites, and we settled on Hoyk. And we settled on Hoyk for uh, three reasons. The first was that there were a lot of buildings, uh, old mills, that we could regenerate. Secondly, the Hoyk uh, sits at the confluence of two rivers, the uh, Tibiot and the Slitrig, and also sits in a sort of geological teacup, which means the water that comes down off the hills to get to the water table takes about 70 years to get down to the bottom, and the quality of the borehole water uh, 70 metres below us is, is outstanding. And then the third reason is that Hoyk is a manufacturing town with a long manufacturing heritage, with a lot of talent, uh, a lot of young people who are motivated by uh, manufacturing business. Uh, so we had a combination of barley, water and people uh, that gave us confidence to start up here. That's really interesting. Um, how did you find out about the water? So. I started off my career in textiles and uh, in sewing thread in Paisley, uh, so I knew about water um, and I'd been at uh, a short period at the Gala Shields Technical College and uh, we, you know, in textiles you're taught about uh, the reason for the borders being so dominant um, historically in things like Kashmir, uh, Tweed which was invented in Hoyk in uh, 1826. Uh, so we, I knew about water, and 
you really ought not to be getting into the distilling business unless you can be 100% sure about your water. Yeah. The distilleries won awards for its architecture and sustainability. What what was it like renovating the building? What was it? Tell us about the building. Well, the building uh, had been put up uh, in 1888 as a set of sheds, uh, and then the front end of the site was put up in 1901. And it started off life as the Hoyk Urban Electric Company, uh, making electricity for consumers. Back then, electricity was like the iPhone in 2007. If you had the money, you had to have electricity. And generation was local. Uh, so these five Irish guys, they raised money in London, they came up and they set up this electric company. And interestingly, they were all members of the temperance movement. And the first customer of the Hoyk Urban Electric Company was the Hoyk Temperance Society. Uh-huh. And when we bought the building in 2015, um, there was a prohibition in the title about using it for the manufacture, retail or wholesale of alcoholic products. But we have a good system in Scotland with dealing with these potential title objections. And there's a, a lawyer in Edinburgh called The Keeper. And he um, he said we could advance. So uh, the building in 1936, electricity was uh, nationalized in preparation for war. And after that, it became a sweetie factory. The famous Hoyt balls um, uh, were made here. It became a hosiery factory uh, for a brief time. It was a baker. And then in 1973, uh, it was converted into a engineering business called Turnbull and Scott, and they made fin radiators for the nuclear power industry, as was. By 2011, they had outgrown the premises, so they moved up to a custom-built factory uh, further up the town. And the building was essentially abandoned, and it was in really bad condition when we found it. But it, we could visualize the distillery fitting in there, we like the story of renovation, restoration. We like the idea of uh, being in the town. So we don't, it's not a very traditional distillery in the sense that it doesn't have a pagoda. It's not in rolling countryside. It's right smack in the middle of Hoyk. And because of the water, gas, electricity infrastructure already in Hoyk to supply the mills, then we had a, we, it was a relatively low-cost way uh, to get the distillery up and running. The renovation project, uh, we started it in 2016, and we, by the time we got to 2017, the building had been uh, re-roofed. Uh, we had uh, cleaned the walls, repointed, and brought it back to life, and we put another 100 years of life into the building. Um, and then working with uh, Forsyth, we were able to put together the architects, the QS, the contractor, the distillery install- installation team, all as one team. So we visualized it uh, all together and then we operated as a single team and we delivered it on time in December 2017. Amazing. So. Um, were you actually looking for a building to renovate then? Yes, that was very much part of our idea that if we're going to come back to the borders, um, you've got the agricultural advantages, the water advantage, but also there's this manufacturing heritage, uh, which is globally um, acknowledged. Um, So 
you know, if you're looking for things to associate with Scotch whisky, um, the Borders was the global centre of the cashmere industry for 200 years. Tweed, the fabric tweed was invented here by a man called William Watson. Uh, it was, it's, there's a great deal of depth of history and story that you can tell. And in this part of uh, Scotland, a bit like the north of Scotland, you've got a lot of space interspersed with strong towns, strong communities. And we like the association um, uh, for our, you know, for our business with those, with this environment. And uh, you were saying when you when we spoke before that sustainability was really important to you right from the start. And and as I mentioned before, you've won awards for it now. So can you tell me how that um, integrated into your renovation plans? Well, we had a we had a bit of luck, of course, because when we came into the industry, the um, SWA had agreed an environmental uh, covenant. Um, with the Scottish Government that sets uh, a series of objectives around water use, energy use, um, packaging use, which the whole industry has signed up to. So we had a good base, a good consensual base with government and with the rest of the industry on how we should proceed. And then we just started to um, work around all the natural advantages we found. So, I mean, an old building's got a lot of embedded carbon, so that's a sustainability tick. Our uh, water uh, is drawn from right next door to us. Our barley is grown entirely in the Scottish borders, uh, very close to us. Um, our co-products are recycled through local anaerobic digesters, one of which um, uses generates biogas to grow tomatoes which you can then buy in Morrison's and Hoyk at the right time of year. So our, our co-products are going around the borders economy and ending up in tomatoes in a national supermarket chain. And it's it's things like that. We don't, because of the glass roofs and because of um, a very clever engineering uh, solution, we don't use any electricity for ventilation or for lighting. Um, we've got uh, tremendously efficient, um, high-quality kit. So all around things like the use of heat, heat exchanges, use of steam, everything's been done uh, within a very helpful regulatory environment um, to hit these hit these targets and go well beyond them, yeah. which the whole industry is subscribed to. Which is we're lucky we have no legacy. So yeah, amazing. Um... Tell us, could you, for anybody who's not been there before, can you tell us a little bit about just what the distillery looks like? I mean, you were saying that uh, you've got glass roofs and you don't need electricity for any lighting or ventilation. That's unusual. If you imagine an old mill building, big, long Victorian building, it's it's what they call random rubble construction, uh, which is uh, sandstone from all over Scotland, actually. You can see traditional yellow from the east and traditional red from the west. New Lanark is another random rubble building that everybody knows about. And it's got these huge glass roofs. Um, we've put in a mezzanine made of um, uh, quartered steel so that you know it weighs not very much so you don't have to pour a lot of concrete. And the, the design idea was that if you were somebody in Hoyk and you were walking past here 40 years ago, you'd have registered that it was Turnbull Scott Engineering, but now if you walk past, it doesn't actually look that different. 
it's just the inside of this um, this distillery, and that's pretty much the reaction we've had from local people, which is very pleasing. And the reason why I think we got the Civic Trust Award, um, which is about the built environment, for, of which we're very proud, is that we did manage to achieve this complete renovation, restoration, and repurposing of a bit of Scotland's manufacturing heritage. But actually, it looks pretty much like it did before. Yeah, nice. You have a cart ahead still at the distillery. Can you tell us a little bit about how you approach the craft? So we've put in a five-ton mash plant uh, with two 12.5 wash and two 7.5 spirit. And then because we were starting from um, scratch and because we had the space and because we had all these various uh, firms all working as a single unit, we were able to imagine slightly different ways of doing things. And one of the things that we decided that we could do is make new make spirit. The vast majority of that goes to cask, which will end up eventually um, as single malt Scotch whiskey. But also we could reprocess that or redistill that new make spirit and using a carter head um, with a separate chamber, separate baskets not integrated with the actual carter head, we could use that new make spirit to make uh, gin and vodka to the specification specified in the rules. Uh, we had to make a couple of slight changes. So instead of having plates in the column, it's packed full of stuff called sacrificial copper uh, because we're trying to get maximum uh, reflux, maximum cleaning of the spirit before it gets uh, in vapor form into the botanicals or the activated charcoal in the case of the vodka. And the company that owns the distillery is called the Three Stills Company, and we've got a third type of still uh, to install um, because we believe, again, that there are some interesting things you can do around distilling on a single site if you're able to get everything put in so that you're not massively increasing your costs. So our Carter head is on the same steam system, same water system, uh, as the rest of the stills and it's just simply a question of adjusting valves uh, to heat the carter head we don't we we don't use new heat if you see what i mean we we we, we make best use of our residual heat and it's been great fun it's been absolutely fantastic and our distillers are all um we've got uh, distillers half girls half boys all very young and uh they, they like the variety that working on the Carter Head gives, and it's a, it's a point of difference for people that visit. We, our distillers are also our guides because we like the visitors to think that they're talking to the people that have just come off making the stuff on their behalf. Nice. Like and uh, it's, it, it adds a lot of animation to the tour. And of course, every, no tours are the same because all the distillers have a different perspective and a different favorite bit. And uh, so it just adds to the, I don't know, the, just the fun of the place, really. Can you tell us more a little bit about the, about the whiskey and how it's evolving? Well, we're, we've just uh, passed our two-year mark for our first uh, fill. Uh, we, um, we have assessed uh, it so far. We're not making a peated whiskey. There's no real peat tradition in this part of Scotland for, for heating. It was always coal. Uh, or trees. Um, we are, as people when they walk in, they can see these these sharply declining line arms and you know, they straight away go, ah, oh, you're going for the kind of lighter alcohols and 
And and that's that to a certain extent it's true. What we're really trying to get though is is a, a big flavour uh, profile, a lot of aroma, and a very sort of clean, vibrant uh, uh, liquid. At the two-year mark in fresh bourbon select, we are um, we're very pleased with the results. Uh, it's quite easy in this business or in the drinks business in general to become extremely pleased with oneself. So we um, we farm it out to to other distillers, and the reaction so far has been completely straightforward, uh, um, and with you know some comments. But on the whole, uh, people believe that we're on our way to achieving what we want uh, as 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 the style of suitable malt Scotch whiskey that we wish to make. Do you mean you just send it to other distillers for them to taste and just just to tell us what we think? Aye. Yeah, that's quite nice. I mean, uh, is that uh, is that quite normal in the industry, or are you? Yeah, most of the industry will know what everybody else is doing. So, um, what advice would you give to someone who would like to know a bit more about whiskey, or would like to know more about the Borders Distillery? I, I think on uh, Scotch whiskey, I would first of all stress that it's important you take your time. This is a business where, if you say this will take me five years, it's regarded as dangerously reckless. Um, and far too speedy. So the industry has its its own rhythm. It's not really a circle, it's an ellipse, it takes time. So I would start off slow, take time, I would read. YouTube has got an amazing selection of super talented people doing nosings, tastings, discussions all about Scotch whiskey. I would then start sampling and uh, in small in small amounts until you discover um, what is your thing? And uh, it could be anything from a blend to super peated uh, to single malt to blended malt or single grain. There's lots to choose from. And then I would uh, say to anybody that's thinking about it, I would say the most important thing you can do is to ask. There isn't a distiller in Scotland that won't be happy to answer your questions. Um, you know, this is a business that Yes, it's based on manufacturing excellence and and global marketing, but it's also based on on the people that work in it. And uh, almost without exception, we're all extremely keen on talking about ourselves. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. And I think you were saying that um, uh, it might be based on marketing, but that marketing often focuses on the people that are working within that industry, isn't it? And so it's a thing that really recommends the industry to uh, to tourists. I think it's driving a lot of um, growth in visitor centre uh, experiences. I mean, everybody's very interested in this part of the business. I think the I mean, I, I've got no scientist to back this up, but I'm guessing that if you were to take an average TripAdvisor score of distillery visits throughout Scotland, you're going to be four and a half to five, I would think. And that's all about the people. It's all about the people that are actually running the tours, isn't it? And you've got to remember that every distillery is doing essentially the same thing under a set of extremely strict rules. So there's not a lot of deviation um, in the manufacturing process. There's obviously enormous differences in styles and casks and approaches and times, and, but everybody's essentially distilling Scotch whiskey to a set of rules that were first laid down in 1909. So what makes a difference from distillery to distillery is the people and what they say about their style and their approach 
um, uh, to this to this wonderful product, and that's what makes Scotch whisky so compelling. So when we spoke before, you mentioned how important blends are to your business and um, to the wider Scottish whisky industry. Can you tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on that? Yes. Yeah, so blended whisky is the engine of our international distribution effort whilst we uh, await the arrival of our first single malt. And as a whole, blended scotch is 85% of the industry output and industry depletions around the world, which, you know, is a better score than cats and whiskers. And it shows a ongoing demand uh, for blended scotch, which I find very encouraging because the art of blending scotch whiskey, where consumers demand a consistent output, but the inputs are infinitely variable, is, um, I think, a story not told enough by the industry. And I think it offers up a different perspective on scotch for the consumer. And do you feel like there's too much focus on single malts now then? No, I wouldn't say it's too much focus on malts because they tell a very exciting story about the diversity, the, the, the regionality, the, the place, the, the opportunities for invention and innovation. But I don't think that that needs to be at the expense of telling the story of, of blended Scotch whisky. Um, the recently published the top 10 brands of Scotch whisky globally, they're all blends, and with very few exceptions, perhaps Taiwan, Italy, perhaps. Blended whiskey is the is what most consumers experience, the way uh, that people get to know uh, what a brilliant product Scotch whiskey is. Um, and I think we undersell it. What would you like to see the industry do to sell it more, do you think? I think it's people like us as well. I, I think we have to be more bold in talking about this product is blended for you, the consumer, every day to try and deliver to you what you enjoyed last Thursday and to give you confidence that what you drink next Thursday is the same as what you're drinking today. And I think that's a great story. The wine people uh, use it very well. You know, the the great brands uh, tend not to be monovarietal. They tend to be mixes of, of different grapes and different terroirs and different techniques. And we have the same story in Scotch. We are consciously making more of an effort to tell that story. Do you think people are aware of that when they're drinking a wine, though? Do you think they're aware that they're drinking a blend, or do you think that they're aware that, or do you think that they think it's, you know, direct from a vineyard? Uh, well, it's, it seems to me to have gone in sort of waves of fashion. So a while ago, there was a, it was all the rage to have just a Merlot or a Shiraz or a, um, a Pinot Grigio. Uh, but I think people are, are moving, we can see it on the shelves in the supermarkets, people are moving back to countries and regions and the back labels tell a story now about this is a mix of uh, Tempranillo and Grenache or Merlot and Cab Sav or, and both things seem to coexist perfectly comfortably in the world of wine. So uh, regions make a big deal about being brilliant at Pinot Noir regions make a brilliant story about telling you know these wines from the Jura region in France or the Douro in Portugal deliver this different experience and for me the consumer seems perfectly happy with the choice and enjoys the variety and I I think that in the Scotch whiskey industry we can do more uh, to point out that uh, a blend whether it's purchased in the supermarket or over the bar uh, is is a fantastic piece of art and craft and industry all combining together uh, to produce this uh, this extraordinarily successful product. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, have you personally done any tastings or anything like that around um, the blends that you produce? We don't do enough of it. I mean, I think we do a lot of it here in the distillery. We talk quite a lot about, um, you know, the, the different ways you can explore Scotch whiskey, whether it's blended whiskey or a blended malt or a single malt. We, we, we get a fantastic reaction um, to the blended story. And we get it from experts all the way down to, to people who maybe have never tried Scotch whiskey before. And once you explain how it's made and what a tremendous challenge it is, you tend to get people looking at it in a completely different way. And it's that really experience of having visitors through the distillery that's taught us that we ought to be doing more of this in the wider world. It's a great story, blended Scotch whiskey, replete with history and romance and drama. And then it all comes down to the skill of this relatively small number of people in the industry, most of whom have been decades at learning how to do this, um, mixture of boys and girls, young and old. Uh, and it's a story I think we could be doing with telling more. Just to kind of um, give a perspective across the industry, I mean, you were saying that 85% of the output in volume terms, yeah. Global consumption in volume. So does that mean that every distillery is actually producing some kind of blended whiskey? or The top tier, um, the big companies, they all do everything. Um, they do all three. We're possibly slightly unusual as a new malt whiskey distillery being in this business. And we got into the business because we decided that was the most effective way to build up international uh, an international distribution footprint in okay. the absence of having any of your own whiskey. That's how, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's why we got into it. But we're really pleased about it. It's been great for us. What made you want to open a distillery? What did you do when you were abroad? Well, I, I started off selling sewing thread. I then um, moved into working for William Grant & Sons. In Southern Europe and in Asia, and then after that, I went into the wine business uh, in Southern Europe, in Portugal, and then I wanted to come back to Scotland and too old to get a job, so do something for yourself. What do I know? Well, I know the drinks business, and then very, as these things sometimes happen, three pals, um, Tim Carton, Tony Roberts, and George Tate had all reached a similar point or were wanting a change. So we came together as, a, as, as four founders um, and off we went to build, build this distillery and then eventually build a Scotch whiskey business. Wonderful. And what's that like working with, with uh, are they part of the business, you know, day to day as well? Or? It's all about people, uh, this, this industry and this product and uh, what you want is to have lots of people around you. Yeah. Socially distanced, of course. Yes, how is uh, COVID-19 affecting you at the moment? So we're lucky in the sense that uh, it's quite a big space and we have enough separate loos and separate areas. So we've been able to um, follow the guidelines set out by the Scottish government and we've been able to, at a low rate, a low level, be able to carry on producing. Uh, and we will, like everybody else, from next Thursday, we'll move through the gears as set out by the uh, First Minister and gradually bring the business back. Yep, we're all looking forward to that, I think. We are, enormously. If you enjoyed hearing about the Borders Distillery and would like to try a bottle of their Low East Side or Clan Fraser whiskies, 
Puffing Billy Vodka or Kerr's Borders Gin, they're offering no shipping charges for the duration of lockdown. Distillery Tours.Scot has every whisky distillery visitor centre in one place. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or sign up for our Distillery and Whisky News monthly email to hear the podcast first at distillerytours.scot forward slash sign up. In our next episode in August, we'll be speaking to Ian Allen, Visitor Centre Manager and Global Brand Ambassador for the Glen Murray Distillery in Elgin. We look forward to seeing you then.